was a good one. You know? Right. <laughs> that was a good one. I'm glad we did it. Now, what up, what up, you and you? We wanted to come and give y'all a quick follow-up. If y'all didn't watch our first live with the fellowship team, um, we got a million questions. Uh, so this is kind of one of the first times we wanted to try this. Uh, but we wanted to give y'all kind of a consolidated, hey, here was all your questions, and we'll put them all together and then create this product for you all because, again, we do this for you all. Uh, but with that, uh, Keith, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to you. Yes. So as Jay Will said, um, you all asked, we delivered. We had an amazing panel session that has still been the buzz, the talk um, around these Air Force streets. Um, and so I'm so glad that we were able to actually bring some phenomenal individuals up on our platform to have these conversations. So typically we ask our guests that are part of our panels to just go in the comments and, you know, put their answers in there. Um, but now that we're streaming on multiple platforms and we had some really good questions and this is definitely um, adding value to showing light on this amazing program, um, we thought maybe let's do a rapid fire question. So basically we took all of those questions as Jay Will stated and we're gonna put them on the screen and you're gonna hear from the experts. Um, so you don't have to necessarily go back into the comments to read, um, even though I do love the fact that they have answered those questions. So this is our first time doing rapid fire. So. I'm so glad that they are flexible and ready and willing. Know, right? Let's yeah, go. most definitely. So with that, we're going to go ahead and introduce the panelists for the day. So first up, Chief, go ahead and introduce yourself for the team. Hello, UMU. Um, my name is Chief Master Sergeant Lucy Stockett. I am currently the Senior Enlisted Leader for SAFLL. I basically oversee the Chief Master Sergeant of the Air Force portfolio, the Chief Master Sergeant of the Space Force portfolio, and I'm also the current program manager for the Enlisted Fellows Program. Appreciate it, appreciate it. Thank you, ma'am. <laughs> I'm loving this AKA. Uh-oh. <laughs> Hi. Hey, ma'am. Um, thanks for the invite. I am Senior Master Sergeant Eva Apia. I am a reservist. I came here from Maxwell Air Force Base. I am a former first sergeant and I am 2S by trade soup soup um and let's see what else so i am one of the new um sessions for this year's fellowship class so i am here to answer all questions reserve related let's get it thank you, thank you. now we've had so many talks about this man set up his background they're like he has <laughs> got to get some beautiful bnb airbnb because usually male bachelor pads or their office man caves do not look like this look at jay wills so here True. we go <laughs> hey, what's going on, UMU? Back at it. Uh, senior Master Sergeant Rob Montano. I'm a current fellow coming up to the Hill. I'm currently in my development rotation, Intel background by trade with a little bit of mix of space and cyber operations. All right. Man, a few words. I gave you a lot of hype, sir, but it's cool. <laughs> and here he comes, Chief. Hey, what's going on? First off, hey, Key, uh, we're going to have to talk because I didn't get no love when I was wearing my A5A sweatshirt the other day. But it's all good. No! But you know, but it's okay. It's this okay. We'll talk offline about it. <laughs> hey, what's going on? You. <laughs> hey, what's going on, UMU? It's uh, Chief Jamal Chesney. So uh, so I'm Intel by trade. I'm currently one of the fellows on the Hill right now. I'm assigned to a member of the House of Representatives. Um, and we'll get into uh, the specifics and the differences between the two uh, later on in this podcast. But glad to be here. No doubt, no doubt. Man, I want to go ahead and jump right into these questions because we got a lot of questions that we're going to try to cover. Oh, How about you do a disclaimer real quick, just in case? I'm sorry. <clears throat> in my black voice, all of you right. opinions expressed while streaming are of our own. If I had suspenders, I'd pull them. Um, opinions and do not represent the Air Force or any DOD organization. Right. Okay. Okay, I'm allowed to ask a question now. Yes. So... I'd like to start off with you, Chief Lucy. Um, we're going to go ahead and start from the beginning. Can you tell me kind of like the timeline for the selection process? Absolutely. So right now, um, as most of you are aware, the ad is live on AMS. It, uh, it comes out in October and it closes out 30 November. So you have a little over two months to just kind of get your package together. But yeah, we, we do a hard stop 30 November because as you all can imagine, I have a lot of packages to review. And so um, what we try to do is try to narrow down those packages to the top 10. And then uh, once myself and two other trusted agents come up with um, our top six, 
then we take those names and present them to SimSaf where she racks and stacks her selection. After she does that, we take those same names to my director and he racks and stacks those names. And this is how we come up with our four, our top four and our two alternate. On the reserve side, there we go. How does that process work? I'm so sorry. I was like, man, I'm glad it didn't cut out again. My mic has been doing what it wants to do. She's doing what she wants to do today, which is fine. So on the reserve side with this timeline selection process, is this is it a little different with this being total force um, for our reservists on the panel? Can you please provide us some insight, ma'am? Yes. So on the reserve side, it is a little different. Um, reservists and guardsmen are chosen every two years. So this year we have reservists, which is myself. Um, so next year we will not we will have a guardsman. However, the way our process works is that you do have to identify it on the DT that you are interested in being a fellow. And once you're, um, you identify that, you do have to apply through my purse, um, through our annual enlisted developmental education board. So you have to go into my purse, submit your application. And if your application meets the board, you will be um, contacted for an interview, which will be the next phase. And um, after that interview, that's when you are finalized. They finalize all the names if you are selected or not. Usually, they will pick um, the top three, which is a primary select, and then two alternates. So as reservists, sometimes based on work, you may not be able to meet the obligation. So then it goes to the next um, alternate person. So for next year, we will not have a reservist on the um on the legislative team however for my reservists out there now that you know you have a whole year to prepare for it so you'll be ready for the next application cycle yes ma'am well let me read the question as is real quick so to make sure that nothing was missed so for the reservists would they conduct their tour at their home unit or would they pcs what type of tour would this be so yes, they will have to PCS, um, PCS here to the National Capital Region. And for the reservists, it, it is a 54 month commitment. So if you break it down, that is four years, four and a half years. So you have the, the 18 months fellowship, and then you have the three years of utilization tour or the payback tour, which equates to 54 months. So you will not be going back to your home unit to do that. You have to PCS to um, the area. Okay. Thank you for that. No, that's perfect. And uh, so apologies in advance. I'm fully transparent. We take questions as they receive. So if it feels like I'm jumping around and it's not like a timeline of, of, of events and stuff, okay. um, but I know y'all smart enough to adapt and overcome. So. Uh, with that being said, uh, the next question came from uh, how were the fellows impacted by the 2021 attack on Capitol Hill? So, uh, Jamal, can you kind of touch that one for me first? Yeah, absolutely. So um, so most of the fellows, we got done with our professional development time in December and that we all wanted to start on the Capitol on, around January 3rd <clears throat> with the expectation or January 4th, right? With the expectation like, hey, look, everything's going to be all good. And then boom. January 6th happened. Um, we did get advanced notification that there were going to be protests in the area. So the majority of us were asked to stay home during that time, but we didn't know it was going to blow up like that. Right. So you factor in January 6th attack with COVID um, and what that resulted in was a lot of remote work for the fellows. Um, a lot of the, the, the fellows, including myself, are still splitting our time between remote work and going into the building. Uh, most most everybody saw in the news that there was increased security measures around the Capitol as well as, you know, the surrounding buildings in the area. So, I mean, yeah, we had to go through some extra areas of security. But as far as the job, we were still doing the same job. Um, the only thing that changed is that some people were going in full time. Some people were going in, were doing remote work full time. And some people were doing a split remote work in, uh, and uh, in, in inside the building. Work. So, uh, I as for the actual job, we were still doing the same thing. You know, we were just doing it from the house, but you know, we still all had the same experiences. But I would say, yeah, you know, it, it was a it was a trying time for there for a minute um, with the added levels of security. 
we're starting to go back to normal slowly. Um, but, you know, you can just tell, right? It's just things are different than they were in previous years. Good one. Thank you so much, sir. All right, Lucy, I have this one for you, ma'am. Do you think this program will open up for tech sergeants or master sergeant selects? Um, to be completely honest with you, uh, I don't see that happening anytime soon. Uh, and that is because of a lot of the requirements that, um, that are needed on AMS. Not to say that an E7 or an E7 select, uh, I mean, a, a tech sergeant or an E7 select doesn't have those requirements. It's just uh, the, the fact of the matter is, is that we have so many academic requirements that we do through the Georgetown University piece that that most people wouldn't have a conferred bachelor's degree at that time, right? Which anything is possible, but you've got to draw the line somewhere. And in, uh, in between SimSAF, uh, myself and the director, um, like 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 all of you know, this year we opened it up to, to E7s, right? And I have been getting phenomenal applications. And the thing that they're missing is one of their requirements, which is senior NCOA. Now to that piece, most people are like, well, how, how am I going to be eligible if I'm missing senior NCOA? Well, myself and Sims have has spoken that if you are that right master sergeant that fits the criteria that we want to hire you, then what we've discussed is that we will send that person to senior NCOA before they PCS to, to DC. So that's how we're working around that. But as you all know, like the technical sergeants are not going to have that. The, e, the E7 selects are not going to have that. So we cannot, you know, push that 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 lever too far to the left because then we start missing the experience piece that we want these fellows to have. Yes. Protecting the integrity of the program. I that definitely agree. And which yes. is funny, too, that we changed it. It was almost like you gave an inch and then you're like, but what about uh, but as I digress, the uh, so I do have another reservist question. Um, so if you can kind of touch this one for me, uh, how hard is it really for the reservist selection process? So you already talked about selection process, but um, how hard is it for the reservist or guardsmen to be selected? Well, it is a competition, right? You have to um, put your best foot forward. You are competing out there. And remember, they are either selecting three or four um, individuals with one being a primary slot. So you have to go into the system and justify why you want to be a fellow. Why do you think you are the best person or the best candidate to come here and be a fellow? And what is the return of investment for Air Force Reserve Command? That is the big question right there. And if you cannot answer that, then you may not necessarily be the right person because that is one of the things that they are looking for during the interview process. What is a return on investment? Are you the right person? Um, are you able to communicate, um, you know, CAFR's um, requirements or priorities? You know, the chief of Air Force Reserve, are you able to communicate his priorities to members of Congress when is needed? So these are some of the things that we have to think about as reserve command. That's a good one. That comes up a lot where they're like, return of investment. I'm like, yes, this is a company. They just put, you know, put some money into you. They they want their money back. So how can you get them get them that money back? Absolutely. And that's why it is a three-year commitment for the reserve. For active duty is not, but for as reservists, and I believe guards too, but don't take my word for the guard, but for reserve, it is a 54 month commitment. And then that's three years return on investment. Right. I totally understand. Rob, this next one is coming your way. So the question is, what are some of the unwritten demands in the, in the, these positions that you all sit in? Yeah, that's an excellent question. Just a caveat, everybody's experience as a fellow is completely unique to their own, um, you know, what they do in their development rotation, whose office they go to on the Hill, and then their follow-on tour. So with that, uh, from my experience so far, the, the biggest demand, um, unwritten demand, has been the uncertainty of the program. Not necessarily how the selection process goes, but once you actually get your foot in the door and get started on your journey. So with that, um, there could be a wide range of things that you can get involved in with your development rotation. You can either go to a think tank, you can go to another department within uh, the executive branch or uh, elsewhere, right? The endless possibilities depending on what AU has lined up for you. Uh, so with that, uh, you know, you also got to consider what's next, what's my uh, on-hill experience going to be, and then what's my follow-on utilization. So 
what I can tell you is you got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I say that from the perspective that you just got to take things as they go. You got to live in the here and now and then just, you know, enjoy the experience as it unfolds and not so much worry about what's in front of you, but like what's like, you know, what's right in that moment that you need to tackle because you're going to have a lot on your plate that you got to focus on. And, you know, on the flip side, there could be periods of um, inactivity where you're just, hey, I got a lot of time on my hands. However, people that get picked up for the program are usually like, you know, 100 miles an hour, you know, 24 seven. So this is that time for them to decompress, return to, you know, getting back to themselves, doing self-reflection, getting back to their family. Um, as far as some other um, unwritten demands, fellows got to be mature. They got to be self-sufficient. They got to be self-starters. So going back to that, you know, uncertainty with what you're going to experience, if you're put into a situation and they give you stuff, you just got to run with it. If you don't have a lot on your plate, well, you got to find ways to keep yourself busy in a gainful manner that, you know, um, is best utilizing your talents uh, with that. And then if any of my other fellows have some input. Yeah, I would uh, I would like to make a note of that is uh, one of the biggest things that we see on um, that we look for on the interview process, which is part of once you get selected or in the top six. We, uh, I know the prior fellows classes have not gotten this, but my class, for example, I had a one hour phone interview to see if I was fit for the program. And so this year I'm going to do the same thing, probably not an hour, but I am going to try to get you on FaceTime on zoom, whatever it is. I want to get to know you. I want to see if you, if you are really going to mesh not only with the other people that are going to be selected, but also with prior fellows. Um, there have been glimpses, glimpses of selfishness sometimes during the program with other particular people and that you got to keep, it's not just the enlisted, there's officers, right? And so you, you, if, if you are naturally just, you know, all about yourself, you're probably not going to get picked up for the program. And to Keys note, I mean, that return on, on investment, like, where do you want to take this? When I have this conversation with you, you need to let me know who you truly are to the core and what it really means if this is what you want to go with. Yes, or is it a ghostwriter? Did the ghostwriter put your package together? And you know, and you can't read out loud. Let's talk about that. <laughs> and some people, no, I like it now, especially yes. like how you mentioned the FaceTime or or video chat as well, um, because sometimes you can see people's uh, mannerisms as well, and then so people can talk really good, um, but they might be reading off a piece of paper and you can't see that on the phone. Um, but with that, I'm glad that you chimed in because the next one was for you. So um, <laughs> is it impossible for a meal to meal to be selected? Uh, we kind of touched this one on the live, uh, but, but I also, I want you to uh, answer this one if you could, like, how does that work? Like how much leverage do you have um, in that selection process? So um, it's not, um, it's not impossible. I think it's t totally doable. Like any other job, you make things happen. If there's a position for your spouse, then your spouse will try to get somewhere close. I mean, we have a lot of areas. We have JBAB, we have Andrews, we have Langley. Like it's how bad, I mean, do you want this job, right? And obviously family comes first. And so you, where are you going to make the sacrifices? I know Rob makes sacrifices. I know another fellow, Jason Jenkins makes sacrifices. I know Griff, you know, for initially also made sacrifices. So you just, chef makes sacrifices. So you got to figure out where it is that you want and have those conversations early with your family and, and let them know like, hey, this is something that I feel is going to take me to that next level. And if, you know, we if I get selected, if we get selected, the possibility that you might not be able to be too as close is a reality. And, and so those conversations need to be had, a, need to be had at home and early and often. Right. And so we I don't have any pool at AFPC, but I know somebody very close that has a lot of pool at AFPC and uh and uh, she's laughing. She understands this because sometimes when SimSaf says, I want this person, and then that's just the person that gets to move, right? Like I'm speaking by personal experience. So you just have to uh, keep that in mind that we as a, an Air Force, we're going to look out for the DAF, right? For the mothership. And we're going to do the best thing that we can because family does come first. But at the end of the day, if this isn't for you. If this is going to put a strain in your family, then I suggest that you find something else. Yes. If I could just jump on that real quick. Right. So when we when we're reviewing these applications, we're not we're not looking at joint spouse first. That's not one of the qualifications that we're looking at. Um, so if you're selected, um, obviously, that's going to be brought into discussion. But like Lucy said, I have to reiterate. Right. There's you, you have to do 
if you're selected, you're going to have to do what's best for you and your family. Um, you know, just telling us like, hey, look, you know, I, you know, I'm not I don't care. You know, I'll do whatever it takes. That, that's not going to earn you points. Right. What we want, because if you come up here with that with that mindset and then it turns around that, you know, you and your spouse did not discuss it. And this is going to cause turmoil within your household. You're not going to be productive in this job. Right. And it's going to be a struggle for you. So but please communicate early, early, early with your spouse and your family and make sure that you're ready. And the Air Force's goal, their policy is to try to keep families together. But sometimes, I mean, it just does not happen or it cannot happen based on the job or your spouse just may not want to come up here like this in the same. So some a lot of the fellows that we've had in the past have either done a geo bacheloring or geo bachelor, the geo bachelorette, um, and they've made it work. Um, however, you know, that that's what worked for them. That doesn't work for everybody. Right. I think the biggest takeaway is the selection process is the same as every other type of assignment program or any program when assignments are involved where middle to mill couples are manually selected. That is a manual hand massage type of uh, deal. And if it's outside of a certain uh, radius, there is you sign because you can't come back and say, I want to be a little closer to my baby. That's not how that works. So <laughs> it's the same just like with any other program, I think is the biggest takeaway. And just like you said, a lot of times what I saw when I was at AFPC was those couples not talking to each other and um, us not being able to have those conversations because you are selected in your own merit. We can't tell you about your man. We can't tell you about your lady. It's two are separate, but the selection process is the same. So kind of have those conversations, you know, if your spouse can go to base X in this area, you know, so I think that's the biggest takeaway, but they answered it spot on really really good yeah but, but you know you wasn't going to let an assignment question go by without no because no, she, <laughs> I was laughing. No, cause she's right because i'm gonna say it, almost everything can be waived you know yeah, what i mean and, no, I, and that's I'm not to again that's not to sit up here like oh she said like, i'm gonna give mine <laughs> but now go ahead if, it listen i'm not gonna have you start with me all right chief chesney this next one is coming your way sir so with this program, a lot of times now we're starting to see that other branches participate. Do you all collab with the other services? Is their program the same? Do you all just see them in passing? Are you all purple? What do you all do? Purple, right? Where, you know, like Lucy said this earlier, right? This is an OSD run program. Each service has the ability to pick their own fellows, but ultimately this is an OSD run program. And to be honest, we have to collaborate with the other fellows. Because remember, when we're up on the hill and we're getting asked questions, if you know, if I'm an Air Force guy and I'm getting asked questions about the Navy, uh, I'm gonna have to go to a Navy fellow and discuss it with them. Right. And honestly, um, in addition to that, you know, the other fellows are in other offices of members who are pushing through legislation that need support. So, for instance, if they're if they're with a member with a senator or a member of the House of Representatives, and that and that member is trying to get support on a letter they're sending up to DOD or a piece of legislation that they're pushing through and they need co-signers or co-sponsors or co-signers, they, they send that out to everybody. Like, hey, look, you know, my, this is what my guy's doing or this is what my girl is doing and we're trying to get support on this situation. So we discuss, we, we, we conversate a lot or we, excuse me, we converse a lot. Um, so yes, to answer that question, we do have to collaborate with the other services often to make sure that we accomplish the goals. Do you do they have like the same amount of individuals? I think that was very interesting to see. I didn't even know that the other branches had, um, you know, enlisted participants in this type of program as well. So um, so the Army, the Marines and the Navy all have enlisted in their programs. Um, the armies and the Marines are a little bit longer than ours and the Army has has about has the same amount of fellows and the Marines have more fellows, more enlisted fellows. Um, the Navy only has one. Uh, their particulars differ a little bit. Like the Army comes in a little bit earlier because they actually get a master's degree out of this program. They actually go to George Washington University and they get a, a master's degree out of that curriculum. The Marines do not get a degree at all. They get certifications as well. And the one enlisted Navy fellow um, is still trying to figure out that world. So I'm actually collaborating with all three of them to kind of standardize an, a DOD fellows program. And they kind of have agreed the way that I have been reaching out and with the help of all the fellows. And let me just throw this out there. I love the fellows. Like that is one of the best teams I worked with. They just, they inspire me every day to do what I do as their program manager. 
And I couldn't be more proud of the people we have selected because some of the ideas that come out of them is just incredible, blows my mind. So I'm super humbled to be their program manager and representing them in this capacity to increase the program and to allow us to go into a, a you know a bigger, better place. But aside from that, I've been telling the Army, the Navy, and the Marines fellows of how we're running the things and where we want to go. So long story to say, more to come on that. But I think that ultimately in a couple of years, you'll start seeing more of a streamlined version where we take a little bit of each service and we embed it into more of a DOD cohesive help. Nice. That's pretty legit. I, I love hearing that. I mean, yes. normally it's like mine's is better than yours and then uh and then we just go with that so no i definitely like to laugh uh so this is one of the ones this next question coming up this is one of the ones i i want i think each of you all have different points so i want to i kind of want to get uh each one of you all's perspective on this one uh so first we're going to start off on the reservist side um and then and then as you said in the schoolhouse rob and then we'll go into uh chief and then finish it out probably uh chief lucy because you've probably been doing it the longest so um what resource uh do you wish this program uh would add uh or more specifically i'll read it uh what is a resource this program should consider adding? so i know this because i'm gonna add more context to this um this question i know it came from when we had our dsd panel this was something that we asked um individuals that that just got back into the career field something that they wish um, whatever DSD that they did, what was added. One of the biggest takeaways that came out that's being echoed is the offboarding time where individuals have that, that in-between time where they don't go strictly from doing this type of program back into the career field, giving them just some, some time to decompress and, you know, switch their mindsets. So I know that um, when this question came up for you all, they were referencing um, the DSD uh, panel that we had. So now adding that context to it, what resource do you think this program should consider adding that you think that they're missing or, man, I wish they had this to kind of help us? Okay, so from the reserve side, um, right now, as you all know, I'm, I'm learning. I'm in the very early stages. I've only been here, what, three months, three, four months. So I'm a, I'm a person that I have to observe first and then think through what needs to be added or what could possibly be taken away. So to be honest, I don't know what additional resources can be added to the reserve side. Um, and that's mainly because I'm the third person to come through this um, program as a fellow for the reserve, the enlisted fellow side. So give me a couple of months and let's re-attack this question and I promise okay. you I'll have something for you. Okay. All right, we're gonna hold you to it. You gotta tap back in then. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> All right. Who else wants to Rob? You wanna go next? Yeah. So uh just like Eva, uh my experience with this, I'm still like in the infancy of my journey. But I will say that I think uh, a resource or just a framework that the program itself can use is when you're in your development rotation, I think there's a lot of benefit to actually circulating you around to different uh organizations. So for myself, I'm with CISA right now. Um, working, you know, cyber and infrastructure stuff uh, from an international uh, affairs perspective. But if I was able to go to a think tank and do a little bit more academic research, you know, supporting, you know, writing papers and stuff like that, I think that would kind of broaden my my perspective, but also give me some more depth into like national security context and like that strategic competition stuff. Uh, so for me, that, that'd be my preference and uh, a way forward. But uh, yeah, it, anything's possible with the program. I mean, you kind of set your own journey. So you just got to let your voice be heard. And usually program managers right there backing you up and, you know, listening to your feedback. So uh, endless possibilities. Got you on the big uh, one, T. Yeah, yeah, I'll go first. And I'll, yeah, I'll let Lucy go last and she can wrap it up. Hey, Lucy, don't get mad at me, right? I got a whole bunch of good ideas. She's going to be like, why is this fool talking about this? Um, <laughs> now, nah, but uh, so one, you know, one, I'd love to see something like the Army does, right? I'd love to be able to have fellows come out of here with a master's degree. Um, that would be fantastic, right? Because I'm, I'm a big advocate in regards to education. Uh, so that's one. Two, this is actually somebody, something that a tech sergeant brought up um, who was asking questions in regards to the application process was a shadow program. I'd love to bring people up mm -hmm. here for a couple of days just so they could experience what fellows go through on a daily basis so they can really you know, get an idea whether that's something they can do or something that they even want to do. Uh, so that's two. And the third um, is something that um, Lucy is actually working very, very hard 
on now is just uh, having a set career path for fellows when they come off the hill, right? Something that they can do or that they know they're doing. And it's very deliberate um, in regards to talent management, getting the, uh, the MFMs involved and the match comp command chiefs involved is, hey, look, if I send you a fellow, when you come off the hill, this is exactly where you're going to go. And this is where I want you because these are the, you know, these are the KSAs that you have when you're finished. Nice. Nice, nice. Nice. So I, I actually, I, I wouldn't get mad at you, Jamal. Come on, man. Those were, those were great stuff. But um, uh, <laughs> to add, so first of all, we don't have enough time to tell you how many things that we can add to this program, right? I see this as endless possibilities. And every time I speak to the fellows, uh, to my team, we just, we just continue to like grow, right? One of the, one of the minor things that I threw at them is that I said to them, I need you to, to, to spread the word about this program. Each of you falls in a different AFSC. I need you to contact your own AFSCs and go to every social media platform on everything you know, everybody that you know, and put the word out there that we exist. Yes. First and foremost is awareness. We exist. Yes. And, and, and they've been tackling that in all kinds of forms. They've been having their own separate things. So that's huge, right? So, so resources, resources. What are we doing? Congress is we need money. Right. We flat out need money. And so in order for you to understand for not just you, but like for anybody out there to understand that the only way that we're going to add resources, whether it's getting a master's through um, through the program, whether it's uh, rotating developmental rotations, whether it's opening it up to more enlisted uh, members on on the on the on the fellowship, um, it all comes back down to money right now. Air University gets funded every two years, right? So the FIDIP is out every two years. So it, as I was doing the research and talking to people in A1D about, hey, can I can I increase the number of enlisted fellows? The answer obviously through Air University was no, it's because we're not getting funded right now. Right now we're allocated 28 positions, right? We only funded 28 position and some of those for civilian, for our active duty um, Air Force, one's a Space Force, one's Reserve, and that's all we're getting funded and the rest are officers, right? So I said, okay, so if I can't get any money, the five dips every two years out, then what is the aperture to turn some of those officer spots into enlisted spots? I'm not taking money from them. All I'm saying is swap them out, right? So if you know anything about Air University and how officer fellowships are, being worked is that every officer has to do some sort of fellowship, not necessarily just the Air Force Enlisted Legislative Fellow. They have their own fellowship, which ties into their actual requirement, their curriculum for school and how they get promoted. So if I pull two officer slots, now I got two officers that I got to shift into another fellowship. Well, CSAP just came down saying, hey, I need the Air Force to relook at all the fellowships that the officers are going with. And guess what? We're going to trim it down. We're going to cut it because they're going to get a budget cut. So if you understand anything about money allocations appropriations, I'm just telling you that we are not going to go down without a fight. I have perhaps SimSAF and SimSIF with talking points already and op-eds that suggest courses of actions that we can do to increase the number of fellows into the fellowship that we cannot get extra funding. So I'm attacking it to two ways. So right. So resources is we just we flat out just plain need money. The little things that we can get after right is uh is doing the SEI codes for fellows. Once they, once they get in the fellowship, they're all coded, right? So when they are trying to look for that offboarding job, mm -hmm. a commander can look at a code and be like, yo, this person yes. has legislative experience. I need somebody on my team that looks like that. And they pull them, right? That's one piece that we've kind of knocked out, um, including the job on the spec at, making sure people are aware, putting the, putting the job out there. Um, other things that I'm working on and like to, to Jamal's point is I am getting on the AFSELC's calendar to brief them as to the master plan that I'm trying to go forward with. And because I have not told the AFSELC and I have not officially presented it, I cannot release it in today on the, on the social media platform. Um, but believe me, it's the off ramp piece is going to take care of its own if we onboard the right way, okay. if we onboard the right people, the off-ramp piece naturally fixes itself, right? Because now I'm looking at having conversations with Chief Master Sergeant of the Air Force, Chief Master Sergeant of the Space Force, the AFSEL, which is comprised of all the command chiefs, the MASCOM command chiefs, right? 
And on top of that, the CFMs, the functional managers, and the chief of the chiefs group, because we do have chiefs that come out of this program that don't fall into any other umbrella other than the chiefs group, right? So I'm working in this three-piece circus that I'm trying to juggle and, and funnel, but the right conversations are being had with the right people. I wanted to have it solidified by December, um, but maybe I will have it by January. Before I leave in May, you all will have a better vector as to what the onboard and offboard piece looks like. Nice. Chief, real quick, do you all talk to um, the CAAs? At um, all? Most CAAs have gotten the information from the actual MatchCon command chief. So what I do, I don't reach down to the, the base level. Um, I go direct to the sources, which then they trickle down. Um, I know there is a break in communication just with simple information. So that's why I have my team reach out to the their level of communications and connections. Yes, ma'am. Okay. I'm going to talk to you offline about that. Okay. <laughs> go to the next one. <laughs> the next one actually is back to, to uh, Chief. How often do you all travel? Um, so, so every fellow was authorized at least one trip to the member's district or their state. Um, and that's for a couple of reasons, right? One is just so we get an understanding of their, of their constituency. Like who is that member supporting and, and what are the values of the people that, that they're supporting? Right. So we could have, so when we're doing this, um, this, you know, we're briefing this legislation to the member, we have an understanding of, Hey, look, these are some considerations that my district has. These are some considerations that my state has. So every fellow is authorized at least one. Um, if there's money in the budget, um, it is possible for fellows to take multiple trips. Um, but that really comes down to, to money. Like Lucy was saying, like, hey, look, you know, this trip's only going to cost. Like I just I went down to Staffdale to Langley uh, about a month ago and that entire trip only cost me forty five dollars. Right. So AU was cool with paying for that. So it really all depends on how much money is left in the coffers. Um, we do. I think um, I answered this question earlier. Somebody emailed me directly. All right, he's gone. I think. Uh, well, I think he was getting us in during the workout. Anyway. Yeah. So I appreciate it. Well, we're waiting Not for him to come back. I will like to add that every fellow that is in the fellowship gets a, a budget, so they all come in with a budget. So, like this year's fellows have thirty six hundred dollars for them. So if your trip costs $45, like Jamal said before he dropped out and left us on his superset, um, we, uh, you, you can take one trip, two trips, whatever. It just depends on how much, um, your, your actual budget, if your trip to Alaska costs you 3,600 and then guess what player you ain't, you only getting one trip and that's it. You know, use it wisely. You have a little budget. <laughs> All right. If I could expand a little bit. So is there, is there one budget for the entire program and then everybody kind of feeds off of that one budget or is it separate per where you're assigned? Yes. No, every, so Air University gets a budget allocation to each fellowship that they have. And they have about 10 fellowships right now, 10 or something like that. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. um, there's a bunch of fellows all across the world, as a matter of fact, and all of them, each fellowship gets a certain fund. Right. And so with that fund, so if they only had 21 fellows, then each fellow would get more money allocated to them. But this year they they got funded up to 28. So if you break that, the numbers after you split the quarters and pay Peter to pay Paul right now, each fellow has thirty six hundred dollars. OK. All right. That's fine. I can't hear Chief. Chief is talking. I can't hear him, though. Uh oh. Lord. I understand. Look, I understand. I'm trying to turn. You know about to. that mic. I don't. I, I wish I could help. I know like, we can't. I don't know. <laughs> still nothing. There's still nothing. Yeah. <laughs> All right. He's trying so to get us in. Right. Nah, right. it's cool. We gonna keep it. We keep it going. Yeah. They. Um, so Rob, the next one I got is for you. Um, if you could grab this, it would be. Uh, what do you think is the biggest learning curve? for new fellows, especially those without working knowledge in the areas of Intel, uh, SCI legal, et cetera. 
Yeah. So uh, as I said earlier, I'm, I'm Intel by trade. So even coming into the program with an Intel background, I had to reorient myself, right? Um, as enlisted, especially as senior NCOs, we, we tend to focus on the human capital aspect of, you know, leading airmen, getting the mission done, tactical level, you know, execution, not really focusing too much on operational strategic. So I think that's the, the first biggest learning curve is reorienting orienting yourself from the human capital aspect to strategic context. So, you know, start reading books about, you know, great power competition or about, you know, our adversaries and kind of what they're doing. Um, and then the, the next one is you, you got to be joint minded. So if you've spent your entire time doing nothing but Air Force stuff, you got to be able to step outside that comfort zone and start seeing what the Marines are doing, what the Navy's doing, uh, you know, and the Army. And just because when you get on the Hill or even when you get in the program, like even from my position in the development rotation, I'm, I'm a DOD fellow, right? I'm not necessarily just specific to Air Force. So when something comes up DOD defense related, hey, you you know about subs, right? It's like, nope, have no idea, but I'll find out the information. I'll talk to the people I need to. And, you know, I'll at least have a baseline level to kind of uh, have a conversation so I could take that information back and do my research. Hey, also, um, I think, uh, so Chief Lucy, uh, you're not coming from an Intel background, uh, correct? Correct. No, so I'm, I'm uh, 1-Alpha-091. I am air crew. I'm the first air crew um, to get hired into this position. And so, no, not an intel background, not a poli-sci or legal, um, but that just goes to show that every year as we hire these fellows, we're looking for diversity of thought. You know, I don't know, no disrespect to my intel folk out there. I love you all, but I don't want a bunch of little intels running around. Like, like, let's go. Like the Hill needs more than just intel on the Hill, right? And I tell them this to their faces. It's not the first time they've heard this, is that when I'm looking at this applications, right, we talk about diversity and inclusion as a big word, but we're looking for something beyond that. I need you to have diversity of thought. And, and when we go on the Hill, this is what these congressmen and senators are looking for. So if you don't have a poli-sci background, okay, that's fine. But guess what? You do bring value to this, right? We have, we hired our first maintainer, Lou Luska last, last cycle in Jamal's class, right? Completely different perspective than probably, you know, what Carlos Sanchez has or TJ Gunnell has or Marisha Schmidt has. Like this is this is the beauty of this program. As we continue to grow, we want to hire the right people because they bring something different. I don't want the same people thinking the same things around all each other doing the same stuff. So, um, so yeah, it's beautiful because we're seeing a, a slight bit of AFSCs getting hired into these positions. You know, our paralegal, you know, Terrell Mickens. Like it's just so beautiful to see. And when we sit down and we have these conversations and we're literally brainstorming the amount of information that gets come together as a team is phenomenal. Out with all these AFSCs that are listening in, at one point I actually was in an Intel CSS and what I envied as a personnelist was, it seemed like the chief would get, or the superintendents would get their airmen together and they would talk about these type of programs or different opportunities. And for the on the Intel side, for some of them, they like Spanish linguists can only go to two locations. So they were always looking for something else to do um, and it just felt like they were looking out for their folks to step out the career field versus some of the other AFSCs you want to hold on and keep your people where I'm glad that if, if the pandemic didn't do anything else, it allowed these type of forums to happen where now talking to my peers where they're like, I finally can have these conversations with my folks. We just because there's so much information we just didn't know. So I hope it does drive that conversation that I would see all the time on the Intel side. We call them the wall touchers. <laughs> we did. Ah, we did. Oh, it's true. Listen. It's true. Because I was with NSA. Listen, they would touch the wall. They wouldn't make eye contact, and I was like, "Mama, I need to go. I don't know what's going on right now." Someone. They were wall touchers. So no, they. Um, so the next one, if I have for you, uh, Lucy, is the. So we we probably hammered down the selection process. So now you've been yes. selected. You're going through. Um, you did your schooling, and now it's time to be placed and uh, placed or assigned a um, your assignment. Uh, can you tell us about that process and then what people can expect as they go through it? Yeah, so once selected, so um, just to give a little bit of background on that for, for when you actually get placed on Capitol Hill. So OSD does all of the placements for all of the fellows, the Marine, the Navy, the Army um, and the Air Force. They What they do is they send out a request to Congress 
And uh, and for and as if you're tracking, if you've heard anything I've said, uh, the Air Force is super smart and OSD is as well as they sent out the request to particular members on certain committees. So like the House Armed Services Committee, you know, HASAC, the all of those. And these members get these place uh, these requests and members that are either on appropriations or authorizations submit their requests. So, for example, my congressman, um, he had a request that he uh, wanted a, a uh, Spanish speaking uh, female um, in his office. Right. So that was his request. He wanted a fellow. He had had a fellow prior to that and a fellow prior to that. And he was uh, on the appropriations committee on the House of Representatives. Right. So once all the request comes in, what OSD does is that they filter the request and they go, yes, no appropriator, authorizer. This one's crazy. Definitely not going to give them a fellow. Um, and they rack and stack kind of like, you know, as, as any other process. And they rack and stack the senators and the congressmen. And then they take the number. So, for example, if Army got allocated only 20 slots, if the Navy only got allocated, you know, 14 slots, the Air Force only got allocated 28 slots, then they take those numbers, compile them together. And then if the request in Congress was greater than the, the, the actual amount that the DOD has, then they cut down the list. And eventually they match the numbers and then they start placing them based off of their request. OK, this one wanted a person with space background. This one wanted a, a, you know, a person with intel background, so on and so forth, all the way down until they run out of fellows and out of congressmen or senators who requested a fellow. They try to make it split even enough for the Senate and enough for the House. But very strategically, they always rack and stack in priority of authorizations and appropriations. So it's very rare that you will find a fellow that is not in one of those offices, with the exception of last year with Jamal Chesney, who was placed in a member of Congress's office who did not have that particular background, but was a prior service member. Okay. Thank you for that, ma'am. All right, so this next one is a little political, but we're going to throw it back to Lucy Chief. Um, look, I don't want to call her. I'm not going to call Chief by her first name. <clears throat> I just lost my Technically, place. that's not a first name either. So I, I get it. I get it. I get it. Okay. So some of the questions that came up that we started to receive, ma'am, was in regards to um, commander's recommendations. So let's say during this uh, process, we do have individuals where they think that they are the fit. The, the Their leadership doesn't necessarily want to let them go. I know in other programs, the commanders were not the final approving authority. They just gave their recommendation. If they had a negative reply, they had to add comments as to the why, um, but they still pushed it up. Is this the same thing for for this uh, program? And then in certain pro, there's a follow up in this program for the commander's recommendation. Can it be the first 06? So if someone works at a MAGCOM, does it have to go to the MAGCOM commander or can it go to the first 06 that's in their chain of command? So what I've been telling every, because uh, I've had these questions also through email, and it's very, very good questions all valid, because sometimes the ad can be a little bit confusing. And for those that like to read into ads, um, they overthink, right? So if this is for my overthinkers, real quick. Um, your leadership has to be on board, period, dot, right? So if your commander is not allowing you to go, um, it's not going to happen. Um, if your wing commander is not allowing you to go, it's not going to happen. So your chain of command has to be on board. And those conversations need to be had if you either got to curtail uh, some sort of other special thing. Um, if the letter can come from an 06, if that person is in your immediate chain of command and he or she is the one writing your EPR. So those letters will be taken into consideration. What I don't want to happen, I don't want people to go out there and be like, oh, you know, random Joe Schmo can just sign a letter and approve it, is if, I, if we find out because once we get selected, if getting selected, we make those personal phone calls to the supervisor and to your boss's boss. And we're like, hey, is this person good to go? Were you tracking this? Blah, 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 blah. Of course, most of those commanders are proactive and they literally send me emails every day and call me to make sure that I'm tracking their applicants thing. So like, I'm already like, I, I know already who has been vetted through the system. So if I have an application that I, that, you know, they basically, their leadership has basically been radio silent, then it just kind of lets me know that maybe it wasn't vetted all the way through. Right. And so, um, trust me, if you're the right guy and your leadership is behind you, um, 
they will approve this package for you. And the letter of recommendation is just that, simply them telling us that they are on board with you um, applying for this job. The way that you actually get hired, and I'm sure they talked about it, is, is, is in your personal essay. That goes a long way. And in that interview, it tells me a lot about who you are as a person and why you want to be in the program. And it shows a lot of skills, right? If we're going to send you into an authorizer's office for you to write legislation and make recommendations, you can't even spell uh, no. Right. And I'm not trying to be mean, but you need to bring your A game. Right. So as I'm reading your personal essay, you need to make sure you triple check that with somebody, your body next door, your leadership, Grimly. every, Grimly. because it's, it's just what we do in business. And nobody as, as Rob alluded to is when you're out there on the Hill, you are just, you're the DOD representative. And if you can articulate yourself into words properly, it's going to not set a very good, uh, good example for the Department of the Air Force. So yes, a lot of stuff, you know, even the way the AMS ad is written, it's written for a particular purpose. Can you read instructions? Can you follow instructions? Can you formulate packages in the right order? If any of those things are missing, Hey, I'm going to be completely blown and my team knows next. Like, right. I don't have time. I have 30 plus packages I need to get through. Read instructions, right? And so I say all this to say that your leadership has to be on board. Those communications need to be had early and often. And, and you know, and sometimes, sometimes it's just not the right time. Right. And it's okay because this program is available every year. Every year. <laughs> so I can I add a little to it on the reserve yeah, side yeah, as far as um, that question is concerned? So for the reservists, when you go into my purse to submit your application, as I stated earlier, you have to write a justification as to why you want to be selected. Um, also, you will have to get your, um, your raider, your commander, and your command chief to also go into the system and pretty much validate what you're saying. So it's not that just because you put in your application is it just goes through. Your commander, your um, group commander, and command chief. So if one of them says no, then maybe you may not get selected. And what you want to do early in advance, as I stated before, um, go ahead and state that in your DT and go ahead and add that to your plan. So when the application process comes about, you can talk to your commander about it, talk to your command chief about it so that they would know your intentions and what you want to do. And that way they can also support you. And if they feel that you are not ready to submit an application, of course, I'm sure they will be honest with you and let you know, hey, maybe this might not be the right time for you. Let us go ahead and develop you a little bit further along before you submit your application. So all three of those individuals have to pretty much write their own recommendation before it you can actually hit submit to send to ARPC. Oh, no, I appreciate that. Because I, I almost forgot it, it was going to be completely different. So, <laughs> no, that was a lot of nuggets in there. Um, good thing we record this. So, the uh, last question I have for you all uh, before I, I am going to give you all the opportunity to get final thoughts. So, if there was something that um, maybe even from the, the ones that were in the last conversation that, hey, I wish I would have said this, or if it was just something along this process, I'm like, I think I should answer this. I'm gonna give you all that opportunity. But uh, Lucy, if I can tag you for one more, because I'm curious if these conversations are being had, is uh, this really seems like it mimics the DSD process. Um, is there any conversations or is there a reasoning of why uh, this isn't included in the DSD process or is there conversations to, to change it to mimic or, or to be in alignment with, I guess I would say better. So, so to, no, so no, it's, uh, it is, it, it's, like it's it. not, <laughs> I mean, I know I was like, let yeah. me put it in nice words. No. Um, and, and the reason for that is says that we're trying to change it to more of a sip, right? Um, the stuff that I can't talk to you about right now is that part where we have thought through as to where this program should be with the onboarding piece. And it definitely does not fall in the realms of a DSD for many reasons. One, it's an Air University ran program. Um, it, it is tied to an actual fellowship that gets funded completely different. Um, the other thing is, is that um, 
it the selection because it we do target specific individuals it does not allow the aperture for it to be managed by its own code as most as you all know when we come here we take on the code of a 9 november but we still test for promotion in our own afsc so it's completely uh it, it we don't have our own aperture and, and venture for that so this is why in the future and what i'm trying to work um with AFSALC is to continue to codify it as, as, a, as a SIT and not just necessarily as an AMS ad that you will see. So there is, a, there is a, again, the things that I can't talk about because I don't want to ruin it, uh, I don't want to jinx it, but I'm definitely going to come back and if it gets approved, I'm going to tell you exactly how that's going to work out. Y'all heard it first, so she's got to tap in with us. It kind of reminds me of like pumpkin pie and sweet potato pie. They kind of feel the same a little bit. Might even taste the same a little bit. Well, we but it's not the same. We're going to go with the look, maybe. maybe <laughs> it might look, but it don't, you know. It they just, ain't going to have the same glaze of sugar across but the, the top. It's, of just, it's just funny how sometimes, like, individuals where things kind of feel and mimic the same, they kind of try to piece it together, like, with the recommendation. The example that was given was humanitarian assignments. So I'm like, so your mom on her deathbed terminally ill is not the same as you going up for this and your commander is saying no. Those aren't this. It's not this. The process you going through the same system. It's yeah. not the same. Yeah, it makes it relatable. So, um, but like I said, uh, I do want to give you all the opportunity. So I'm gonna start off with our reservists because uh, we definitely appreciate your time. And um, I'm gonna start off with you, and then Roland, Rob, Jamal, and then Lucy for your closing comments as well. So with that, uh, Miss Eva, do you have any last last words or last answers that you want to give for the team? Well, the only thing I will say is that the, this opportunity exists for reservists as well. Do not put yourself in a box and tell yourself that you don't deserve to be here or anything like that. Um, as I stated before, I am the third to come through this program, and I did not know this existed until I actually read the EDEB course descriptions and I applied for it. I never thought I would be selected and here I am. So for my reservists, seek out those opportunities out there. They do exist. Enlisted reservists and what is it? Enlisted legislative fellows, we do exist. So put yourself out there, step out of your comfort zone to be a little bit uncomfortable, but it will be a good thing for you. No doubt, no doubt. And then we also, so I promise y'all, anybody that's listening, we're going to make sure that we get her information um, out to you also on the reserve side if y'all want to connect and then try to figure out more about the program and how that process works on the reserve side. We'll make sure to get some contact information for you all. Um, but with that, Rob, uh, before you get in your closing remarks, we were also asked if you can give us a rundown of your setup as well, um, your audio visual setup. Um, Where did you get your mic from? You know, just give us a little, a little, a little piece, a little, you know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So uh, I'm just running a standard uh, video cam that I got off Amazon. I'll actually throw the brand into the links, but uh, the mic setup, it's uh, FinFine. And it pretty much came up as a setup. It came with the the arm, uh, the pop filter, as well as uh, the setup you see here and some additional stuff. And I'll throw that in the uh, the link as well. But it, it served me well. I use it a lot for like facilitation, other type of uh, events like this, and it really helps out. So. Uh, beyond that, closing <laughs> remarks. Um, so as, as I mentioned in, in the previous uh, event that we did, um, I was tracking this back in 2013, 2014. So, um, you know, it was something as soon as I heard about it as a staff sergeant, I was like, man, this is something I want to do. This is something I'm going to, you know, set my path for. And, you know, when the time comes, I'm going to be ready. Right. Uh, so with that, I know we're talking about the selection process as it is now for our master sergeants and our senior master sergeants as they're trying to navigate the process to join you know, in the near future, uh, but I would like to put this out to our younger airmen. Um, if this is something that you're considering, something you come across, reach out now. Uh, there's plenty of fellows, you know, past, present, even ones in the future that will, you know, give you time to help mentor you, provide insight. So when the time does come for you to actually apply, if it's something you still want to do, you'll be ready to go. So uh, always happy to help. I don't like how he said standard, like it was easy yeah. or like, just Real surface, just standard, just a standard setup. You know, with the arm, and the, you know. 
but um, and then as well for the ones that are will only be listening and not see the visual with Teacher Mark. I think he was working us in in between sets as he was working out tonight. <laughs> you look so a little workout. I, I want to say I appreciate it. You know, and and, and, and most importantly, that. how you were able to calm down. So I'm not sure if that's part of the training that uh, Lucy turned over to you to how to calm your heart rate down really right. quick so you can be ready to answer questions or what it's, but, it's, it's all part of the training can you guys hear me uh, we we're good now we're oh, good. Good. all right yeah it's all part of the training uh yeah man you got you gotta you gotta keep your your heart rate low to even kill hey but no on the real what i wanted to say is that i didn't get to say before and and i'm and it kind of sparked these, these these thoughts were kind of sparked based on the questions that we got right so a lot of people seem to be afraid of applying for this job with the understanding or with the feeling that they need a political science degree or a public administration degree, or they need to be Intel, or they need to be something specific. You don't. Um, and, and like Lucy brought up, you know, we, we are looking for that diversity. We, if you're a dental guy or a girl and feel that you qualify, apply. If you're services and feel that you qualify, apply. Security forces, CE. Um, a lot of people, you know, have this fear like, hey, look, I don't even know if I can do this job. You would be surprised. Um, how much your military experience combined with your civilian education has prepared you for stuff like this. Um, I hit 20 years next year, or excuse me, next month. And, you know, being in the military all of my adult life, there was a fear that I, that I could not do anything else aside from do what I do in the military. Um, all, everything that I've done up to this point and working with civilians for the last 18 months and nothing but civilians has only showed me that we as military members can be successful at other things. Um, so don't marginalize yourself. If you have an interest in what in this job and you feel that you are the right person to do it, put in your application. Um, absolutely. And the quickest way to get the, um, the right support that you're going to need during this application process is to communicate with your leadership early and often. Um, you know, they, they are more understanding than you probably give them credit for. So make sure that you're having those conversations, get that support that you need. So while, it, you know, if you are selected, it's easy for us to say to, for, to get everybody on board and say, oh, they're good to go. We'll see them when they're out the program. No doubt, right. no doubt. And then last but not least, uh, Chief Lucy, we're going to leave you with the closing remarks. Hey, um, so so I just want to say this before I forget to all of the uh, National Guard uh, people out there. I want to put in a quick plug to the POC that actually is overseeing the program right now. His name is uh, Chief Master Sergeant Chuck Charles William Powers. Uh, he was supposed to get back with me today so I can have more information for you. Unfortunately, he got caught up with some things. He didn't have the meeting he thought he was going to have, but he did say, if you all have any questions particular, make sure that you either reach out to him directly, um, or, or send me a note and then we'll make sure we take care of you and answer those, those questions of, you know, the ones that didn't really get answered because we, um, because it is, it, it does fluctuate every two years. Like Ava was saying, it's really hard to kind of codify a lot, and there's a lot of turnover. But um, enough about uh, that. That plug. I just want to thank you, and you, and you, and and all you guys, the admin team. You guys are phenomenal. I watch you all the time. I love y'all swag and energy and humor. I don't know why Black isn't here, but you know, I'm gonna text him, make sure I get I. I I, uh, I, I bother him too, but hey, y'all do phenomenal work. I appreciate everything that you guys do because with your help, we have been able to bring more awareness into a phenomenal program that I feel every enlisted should have the opportunity to not only apply, but be part of this. And the more that we spread this awareness, the better it's going to be for our airmen and our guardians if we, as we transition and move forward and actually start tackling some of the things that are on the SIMSAF and SIMSAF's lists, right? And also CSAF's vision. And without getting too strategic and why it's important from a low key standard uh, point of view is from the bottom of my heart, I'm very humbled to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. And if anybody needs to reach out to me, I know y'all find me. Uh, my email is lucero.stockit at us.af.mil. I am the only stockit, I think, in the Air Force, so it's not that hard. So if you see a name that looks like a guy's name, no, that's really my name. 
So just go ahead and email me and please don't call me, sir, because I'm definitely not approving your application. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but other than that, thanks so much for the opportunity. You all are awesome. And I can't wait to uh, to give you guys the third part of what it's going to look like. Oh, man, I can't wait. I can't wait. Hey, kid, you got on. You want to leave me with anything? No. So I just want to say, say again, thank you all so much. Thank you for being a... Uh, um, flexible in this, us being able to do this rapid fire. Again, you all have answered every question in the comment section, um, but I think that a lot of those questions were very, very important that should be shared out loud, especially with these conversations still going on amongst our enlisted folks. So thank you guys so much for taking and making time for us. We definitely appreciate this so much. Jay, what's yeah. up on you? Hey, ditto. So I'm always humble. So to, for yes. especially uh, for y'all to come back to back, uh, Chief uh, Lucy, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you off the hook. I wasn't gonna put why you got pulled away, but I'm gonna just say there's unique opportunities that can happen that change your schedule uh, very quickly. Um, so thank you for being willing to jump back on as well, and thank you all for for coming on reserve and on the reserves. So, uh, like I'm always humble when we get into these conversations, and I'm actively listening as though I'm not talking uh, as well. So. Uh, but with that, we always do this for y'all UMU. So if you have anything for us, you have any more questions, we'll make sure to get it. And if you ever want to see anything in the future, just let us know. And with I that, like we that. out. We out.